Welcome back to Anti-Social Studies. Today's episode is a really fascinating conversation with a guy named Jonathan Katz. He's a journalist and an author. He's written multiple books. Today, he's talking to me basically about the topic of his most recent book called Gangsters of Capitalism. And it's all about this guy named Smedley Butler, which amazing name. And I do just want to get this out of the way that when I got the transcript from our conversation, which is generated by AI, because of course it is, uh, there were many, many times that the robots actually wrote Smelly Butler. And I just feel like I had to get it out of the way. I don't know. Maybe there are teenagers listening and that will hook them into this episode. But Smedley Butler is maybe the most fascinating person that I had never heard of in American history. This episode is like a slightly longer than some of our other episodes. And I promise it's worth it because it's a wild ride. So we are going to go off on crazy tangents that all come back together in this like cinematic biography that needs to become a biopic. So enjoy Jonathan Katz teaching me all about Smedley Butler. Welcome to Anti-Social Studies. So I'm Emily Glankler. I'm really excited because I have a guest today, Jonathan Katz. And I'll let you introduce yourself however you want. But first, I'm going to read. I mean, I just pulled this straight from your website. So, you know, you can tell me. You can tell me if there's a different way you'd like to be introduced. But uh, Jonathan Katz is a journalist and an author. And you're on TikTok. That's how I know you. Um, so I was introduced to you because I did, I can't remember, I did a TikTok about something and then someone in my comment section mentioned a coup I'd never heard of and I couldn't believe I'd never heard of this coup. And then turns out you had written a whole book about it and so you reached out to me very kindly. So, um, so that was kind of our first introduction. But you're a journalist and an author. You spent a lot of your career in Haiti is what mm-hmm. it sounds like and were there um, when the earthquake hit and we're kind of the first outside reporter um, doing a lot of important work there and have contributed to the New York Times. Um, I see something that makes me nervous, which is that this says you formerly directed an initiative at Duke University. Yes. I is did. that true? Yes. Is this, are you, are you nervous because <laughs> of the initiative because, or because of Duke? Because I went to UNC Chapel Hill. Fair enough. So <laughs> I, I actually, I actually don't care, but yeah. I don't care about Duke <laughs> athletics and I don't live there or teach there anymore. So I grew up fine. in Austin. So I got to go and be like, yeah, Duke sucks for a few years. And then I left and was like, I don't actually care. I, that much. I hope I'm not offending any of my former colleagues when I say that I used to use my and my wife's uh, uh, IDs to get into Cameron Indoor Stadium and then basically root for whoever was playing against Duke. That was generally... <laughs> You can tell me later if you want me to cut that out. You might like wake up in the middle of the night and be like, I can't like that. Okay, cool. Um, But yeah, and so the last few years you've been working on this book um, Mm -hmm. where it looks like it says you've been traveling all around the world, which I'm really fascinated by. Um, It says to uncover the forgotten history of the rise of the U.S. global empire and its legacies. And then the book that you came out with in 2022 is called Gangsters of Capitalism. Smedley Butler. That was the guy I'd never heard of. The Marines and the making and breaking of America's empire. So um, what would you like to add or amend to that? How would you introduce yourself to people who don't know? Oh, to my introduction? Um, I don't know. I don't know who I am anymore. (laughs) I'm now now the father of two is is really my main main function in life. Um, I'm a journalist. Um, I I worked for the Associated Press, the wire service, um, for about eight years. Um, As you noted, uh, I think... Most notably in Haiti, um, I was there for uh, three and a half years um, from 2007 until 2011. I was there during the 2010 earthquake. 
um, which used to be the one thing that people knew about Haiti, but uh, time marches on, and especially mm -hmm. younger people sometimes haven't heard about the fact that the deadliest earthquake in the history of the Western Hemisphere happened in Haiti in 2010. Uh, between 100,000 and 316,000 people lost their lives. Mm -hmm. I was very fortunately not one of them, although it could have been I mean, my house collapsed around me, so it was sort wow. of by, by luck and, and the skin of my teeth that I got out of that. Um, and then later that year, I broke the story that um, uh, a deadly cholera epidemic uh, had been uh, introduced to Haiti by the United Nations, uh, which killed about 10,000 people. So um, I, I traced a deadly epidemic to its source and, and exposed a cover-up that involved the WHO and the CDC. And I saw um, that. It's, yeah. It said you got – now, this made it sound – I'm actually really curious about this because it mm -hmm. says um, – in 2016, you obtained the first admission by Secretary General Ban Ki-moon that the yes. UN had played a role. When it says you obtained the first admission, mm -hmm. does that just mean like your work contributed or like you were no, there? Did he write you a letter? Uh, I talked to his people. Yeah. So I, yes. But in, uh, yeah, in 2016, I got um, some internal documents, basically uh, sort of the the UN's equivalent of uh, an inspector general, like a, like somebody mm -hmm. who's, who... It's called a special rapporteur. It's somebody who like basically exists within the UN, but sort of outside the UN and is there to tell the UN when they've done something bad. Wow. Um, he wrote a, 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 a document that was secret at that time, which basically said, look, we all know that you guys caused this epidemic. We oh. all know that you're covering it up. You've been lying about it for six years. You should really come clean. I got a copy of that and I went to... Um, the UN Secretary General's office that was at the time Ban Ki-moon um, and I was like so what do you what is your reaction to this yeah how do you respond and you know I was expecting either no comment or you know see our previous comments or, or something like that and to my surprise um, they responded basically like yes we saw it and uh, it's time that we own up that we played wow. a role um, as they put it, I mean, it was the role. They, the, yeah. the, the role that they played was they introduced cholera to Haiti. Um, wow. It was UN, UN peacekeepers, a battalion of UN peacekeepers from from Nepal. Um, and yeah, and I um, I was writing at that time a lot for the New York Times, um, mm -hmm. and so uh, the story ended up breaking on the front page of the Times with my byline on top of it. Wow, um, which was funny because the Times was my rival when I was the. AP correspondent in Haiti. So like now I was like kind of writing for the people who I, I kind of in some ways consider the competition. It would be a little yeah. bit like, a little bit like, you know, I don't know, uh, Michael Jordan, you know, uh, suiting up for Duke. Um, oh briefly. yeah. I mean, but that would be way more serious than what you did. So. Yes, 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 yes <laughs> absolutely. Yes. No, I, well, my, my feelings about the New York times are much warmer than they are about. Duke that's basketball. incredible. I mean, and that's, um, well, first, I mean, congratulations feels like a weird thing to say because obviously you're uncovering this terrible thing, but right. it feels like the kind of thing that people say they want to be a journalist. That feels like what they think it's always going to be like. And yeah. that, you know what I mean? The fact that you actually kind of had that experience and were able to uncover something of that magnitude is, um, that's pretty incredible. So, yeah. okay. So we've established that you are an intelligent person who has done lots of very impressive things and now you're going to come teach me about something from history I've never heard of before. But this is why I think I think one of the reasons why I wanted to start doing my podcast this way is I, I don't know about you because you're on TikTok as well, but I've learned so much on TikTok. And I love that TikTok literally puts you face to face with other people who have some experience or expertise that you could have never even 
imagined. And I was like, but they're three minutes and I want to be able to talk to people for longer. So I'm curious, I mean, there's lots of things obviously you could teach me about today, but what, what is the topic you want to teach me about today? I, I, I want to teach you about Smedley Butler. You want to talk about if, Smedley Butler? If, if that's if, if that's what you want to hear about, I will spend all I, day and all night talking about I kind of do. I kind of do because this this is also like my own I'm trying to be humble here and remind people that, you know, historians aren't often are bad students as well. I have a terrible memory, just a terrible memory, which is hilarious as a history teacher. And so even though I did when that TikTok came about and people were like, you have to look up Smedley Butler. I did. I did a lot of research and not, a lot of it has gone out of my brain and I intentionally <laughs> didn't look it up again because I knew you were going to come and teach me about right, it. Right. Otherwise I would have. So, okay. My, what I remember about this yeah. Smedley Butler is he was a military guy. He was. He, and you can you can tell you can give me a grade afterwards. You can be like, no, that's not. Um, he was a plus. Um, he was a military guy. Yes. Okay. He was yeah. a military guy. Maybe I was in Marines, but I don't yep. know if that's true. Oh, great. And, and uh, he, sorry, I shouldn't be grading you while you're going. No, I'll, I love the positive. I'll let you feedback. write the whole essay. I'm like then... a gold star sticker kid. I love the positive feedback immediately. Right. Um, and it was something that he either uncovered a plot or was informed of a plot by a bunch of essentially wealthy business owners to like overthrow FDR's presidency. And he, much, yeah. he basically said no, and he told people about it. That's what I remember. <laughs> that is, I mean, that is, those are all things. Those are all, <laughs> you get an A. Perfect. All, all of those It's a completion happen. grade. I get a completion grade. You get grade. a completion grade, yes. Okay, you, get a, you get a check mark. Perfect. Um, but there's much more to the story, of as course. you might imagine, than that. So how um, would you, like, someone who knows nothing about this, which, based on the comment section of my video, a lot of Americans have never heard about this before. Right. How do you introduce this? What's, like, what are the key points? And then I'd love to get into all the tangents and crazy details, too. Well, I think the first thing to do is talk about who, who Smedley Butler was. Mm -hmm. So you, I mean, you nailed it. He was a Marine, and that was, <laughs> if he was here today, he died in 1940, so he's not around. But mm -hmm. if, he, if he was here today... Um, the first thing that he, and the, and the last thing he would tell you about himself is that he was a Marine. Hmm. Um, he joined the Marine Corps in 1898. He was 16 years old. Wow. Um, he lied about his age to get into the Marines because the army wouldn't take him because they, they could tell he was too young, but the Marines were interested in taking anybody that they could get, uh, because as I'm sure uh, students of your podcast, Spanish American war, right? Spanish American war. Yeah. Um, he, uh, he was basically energized to join because of the, uh, uh, the war propaganda, the, the, the rush to war. Um, people, you know, often remember the, uh, the main, which we're, we're supposed to remember, right? The, 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 yeah. the battleship main and Smedley Butler, mm -hmm. uh, he joins the Marines, uh, gets on a banana boat, um, uh, quite literally, um, to to go to war, um, he uh, lands a couple weeks after the the the, the bulk of the Marine uh, battalion had landed at a little place called Guantanamo Bay. Oh, um, and he helps basically. The, the, the Marines had just taken it from the Spanish a couple weeks earlier. He helps, you know. Uh, uh, make sure it remains in American hands. It's kind of funny that you're bringing this up because literally in my season finale of my U.S. history season, right, we were talking about the war on terror and I kind of made a joke where I talked about, you know, suspected terrorists being held at Guantanamo Bay and I kind of had a line where I was like, that's somehow in Cuba still, but I don't quite understand. And I mean, I've studied a lot of Cuban history and it still confounds me that I'm like, how is that still a thing? So, so Smedley Butler was there at the beginning of that. Was he was one beginning. of the Marines who secured that land and he did yeah. a really good job because yes. it's, still secure for yes. the United States. Okay. Yeah. Well, he was 16 at the time, so he wasn't do he wasn't doing the best job of the Marines. He was sort of just trying to stay alive. Whatever he did, but, it seems to have worked. Yeah. Yeah. And from there, 
um, he goes, he basically goes to every hotspot, every overseas invasion, uh, war, uh, occupation that the United States imperial action that the United States undertakes from that moment in 1898 until the 1930s. So until really the, the eve of, of World War II. Um, and that means that he goes from Cuba to the Philippines, right? The other, oh. from the American perspective, the other perspective of the Spanish-American War. Um, Butler sees his first real action um, against the Filipinos because the Filipinos don't particularly like the fact that we've done this um, yeah. in 1899. He goes from there to uh, China. Um, he helps put down the Boxer Rebellion. Whoa. Um, which I, I don't know if you have other episodes about that. Yeah. No, I do. Sorry, I'm just my and I've used this reference a lot, but this seems true. He's like the Forrest Gump of his yes. time. Like he's he's everywhere because that's he's everywhere. yeah, he's hopping from the Philippines. I always I mentioned to my students that there's a whole war called the Filipino-American War. And I'm and I asked them, I'm like, go home and ask every adult in your family if they've ever heard of it. And it's a no, it's never. It's no. So then yeah. hops over Unless to China. Filipino. Exactly. Unless yeah. you're Filipino. Then hops over to China to help put down this boxer rebellion, the right. Chinese empress essentially trying to force foreigners out after those opium wars. Okay, yeah. so he's there. Yes, wow. he's there. Mm -hmm. um, uh, helps sort of subdue China and yeah. and, and establish um, a, a, an American commercial presence there. It's not total American control, but mm -hmm. the, but the, all of the powers who who, who uh, helped suppress the, the boxer rebellion um, basically uh, take take a share of that. In addition to his actions in Asia, he then uh, spends really the bulk of his career in Latin America. Mm -hmm. um, he helps um, secure uh, the Panama Canal. He helps basically uh, uh, carve uh, the Department of Panama, uh, which was a state of Colombia, yeah. away from Colombia, um, kind of a forced secession. Uh, he's also in Nicaragua, um, mm -hmm. uh, helping install a U.S. client, uh, essentially president and eventually a client dictator, um, and put down, uh, uh, you know, liberal rebellions there. Um, he uh, invades Mexico in 1914 at, on behalf of the oil companies. Um, when... This is the Mexican Revolution turned civil war is going on. Chaos, exactly. Right? Exactly. Okay. Yes. And so the U.S. the U.S. invades and occupies Veracruz, um, yeah. and uh, Smedley Butler actually, um, in addition to that, goes on a spy mission where he um, goes to Mexico City uh, under a false name um, and in, in plain clothes to basically um, explore the possibility of a full American invasion that would have gone all the way to Mexico City, um, basically wow. a repeat of of, of the, the Mexican American War. Um, he is in. Uh, Haiti, um, which is how I first encountered him in the memory yeah. of, of Smedley Butler. Um, the U.S. invades and occupies uh, Haiti in 1915. That's an occupation that lasts for 19 years until mm. uh, 1934. He helps invade uh, the Dominican Republic, which the United States also invades and occupies. Um, he then ends up in uh, World War I. Um, at the rear of, of uh, the fighting, but as a general, he's basically in charge of um, uh, overseeing an embarkation, uh, uh, disembarkation camp as, as American hmm. soldiers are coming in and, and then leaving again. Wow. He then takes a break from the Marine Corps and um, is the uh, director of public safety of the city of Philadelphia. So he's oh. essentially the super police chief of Philly. This is in the uh, 1920s? The 1920s. He's there fighting against the gangsters. He's fighting right. against the bootleggers. Wow. Um, basically, like, bu literal buddies of, of Al Capone. He oh then goes back to the Marine Corps and goes back to China. Um, he's there uh, during the outbreak of uh, the Chinese Civil War. 
Yeah. Um, and I'm sure I'm leaving some things out. But then no. he uh, he then he helps establish uh, Quantico, the, the the Marine Corps base uh, uh, in in Virginia, and the uh, his sort of last years as a Marine, um, he is becoming um, extremely outspoken. Um, he starts uh, going on speaking tours, and mm. while he's on these speaking tours, he starts talking about the things that he has been doing overseas. Right. Um, and he's a hothead. I mean, he's 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 a, uh, one of the biographies of, of Butler that came out um, in the 1980s is called Maverick Marine, um, and oh. that is very much a, a description of him. He's also... Uh, in in a in a permanent bad mood because he had been very much hoping to become uh, the Marine Corps Commandant and has passed over. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he's he's basically he's the second highest ranking Marine, so he's gone from being a 16 year old yeah. junior lieutenant to being a major general, which is the highest rank available to to Marines at the time. Wow. Uh, he was twice the recipient of the Medal of Honor, um, first for the uh, invasion of Veracruz in 1914, and then for the invasion of Haiti in in 1915. And, um, uh, but he's, he's losing his patience and I want to pause yeah, you there. Sorry. I have so much to think. This is so much to think about one. He, he must have loved Teddy Roosevelt. He <laughs> and Teddy Roosevelt. I feel like he probably had a poster of Teddy Roosevelt on his bedroom, like in his bedroom when he was a kid, because it's like, he's almost following. It's like, there's, there's like a, the shadow of Teddy Roosevelt. It's almost like everywhere where he is, he's going down to Panama and helping him there. Like, that's fascinating. But also, I just want to point out, because probably there are a lot of people listening that just went, I didn't know we invaded there. I didn't know we invaded there. I didn't know we invaded there. And I want to pause on that and say, you're correct that, like, I didn't either. I I studied, I mean, I was pretty good at history. And then I went and in my undergrad, I studied 20th century Latin American history. Yeah. And it wasn't until I was teaching APS history that I learned about a lot of these actions. Obviously, the big ones, Cuba, the Philippines, but the like almost 20 year occupation of Haiti and the Dominican Republic. Like I had I literally never even learned about those. Yeah. And the fact that, you know, from my impression and the way it's often talked about, probably I've done it as well, is that it's like the Cold War is what sparks the U.S. to go. Actually, we're going to start making sure we have. But no, this is something no. we've been doing in Latin America for as long as we've been around. Exactly. Right? I, I, have a, I have a sort of a similar story to you. I mean, I, I was an American studies and history major in, in undergrad. Um, and I, I, you know, I took uh, one of the, 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 the foundational courses really in my life. Um, I took as a freshman. Uh, it was by a great professor named Ken Bain. Um, and he taught a course that I took um, as, as a freshman uh, that was called U.S. Foreign Diplomatic Relations 1945 to the Present. The present mm. at that time being basically the 1990s because I'm old. Um, and um, it was it was about, you know, U.S. foreign policy during the Cold War. And it was there that I learned about, you mm-hmm. know, what the U.S. was doing in not only in Vietnam, but in Indonesia, in in Chile, in Brazil, et cetera. Yeah. Um, but and, and so I considered myself, you know, I read Chomsky, you know, growing up. Like I, I considered myself, like you know, I read Howard Zinn. Like I, I felt yeah. fairly well, you know. I've done educated. the work. I've looked into some of this stuff. Yeah. It wasn't. It wasn't until I moved to the Dominican Republic that I learned about the U.S. occupation of the Dominican Republic. It wasn't until I moved to Haiti that I learned about the the U.S. Mm. occupation of Haiti, and not just the U.S. occupation of Haiti and 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 the DR and these other places. I also lived in Mexico and and, and learned a lot about American foreign policy from yeah. the other side there. Um, but, uh, it was a, it was a, fa- these were, these were foundational moments. These, these weren't yeah. just things that happened once and, and, and people have forgotten about them. Um, they are really in a lot of ways central to memory and they're central to all of the things that, that have happened in, in these countries since. Mm-hmm. And it was when I learned about 
um, Smedley Butler and all the places that he had been, all of the, this kind of like Forrest Gump like uh, a career of his, um, that I was like, oh, this this is a fascinating individual. Yeah. Not only because of of uh, all the things he did, and the the thing I think the main thing that we're about to talk about about um, the, the coup that he exposed in, in 1934, um, but because of all these places that he was, all these these. Uh, pieces of American and world history that he participated in that I didn't know about and that I was sure that other people didn't know about. Um, but, you know, it's, it doesn't take very long for people to look at this and realize that this does not comport with the image that Americans like to have about ourselves. That right. we are the bastion of democracy. We are the, we are the font of liberty. Um, we, are the, we are not the empire. We are the, we are the plucky rebels that, that yeah. fight against the empire. Mm -hmm. and, this was, and this was what got Smedley Butler into the Marines in the first place, back back when he was 16. Yeah, fight writes, off the evil Spanish Empire, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And it's as Smedley Butler goes over the course of his career, you really, I really, you know, as a historian, start seeing intimations of this in Nicaragua. Um, hmm. I spent a lot of time with Smedley Butler's letters. He was a a, a uh, prolific letter writer. And oh, great. A, and a prolific mama's boy. He he loved writing his mother and telling him every damn thing that he was doing. Beautiful. We love wife. that as a historian. <laughs> and um, in those letters, uh, the first place that he really starts questioning his orders and being like, I don't think that we're here doing the thing that I thought we were here to do is in Nicaragua um, in, mm -hmm. in, in uh, 1909, 1910, 1912. Um, and these kind of questions and in some ways, uh, you know, low level protests um, continue with him. It doesn't keep him from doing anything. He sure. continues doing all, both of his medals of honor for really participating in atrocities. And he knows they're atrocities. He tries to give back the first medal of honor um, for oh, the wow. invasion of Veracruz. He's like, we were fighting children, literally. Um, <gasps> like we, we don't, like this, there's there's nothing honorable about this. Right. It was, it was a shameful invasion. I mean, the, the, basically, the, the 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 federal troops had pulled back. They left literally children and women and old people um, to to fight the Americans as they came ashore, and they bravely tried to do so um, mm -hmm. and paid a, a tremendous price for it. And he doesn't try to give back the the um, the second medal of honor, which is basically for per perpetrating a massacre of insurgents in, in northern Haiti in, in 1915 at a place called Fort Rivier. Mm -hmm. um, but by the time we get to the end of his career, um, he is starting to become outspoken about these things. And he is going on the speaking circuit, basically to make money. Um, the yeah. Great Depression is, is starting to hit. It's 1929. In a positive light, you would call him a provocateur. Mm -hmm. um, you might call him a troll. Um, I was going to say, like, he's got he's got some stories to tell and it's going to make people mad or it's made people feel things regardless of. Yeah, he's kind of he's kind of like a 1929 TikToker, right? right. Because he's he's like he's go he's just going places and telling stories. And because yeah. he has clout, because he has because he is two time Medal of Honor winner. Sure. Great War veteran Smedley Butler. People will listen to what he has to say. Um, and and what he has to say is shocking to a lot of people. He's telling stories about how the Americans fixed elections to make sure that our guy won in yeah. Nicaragua. He's telling stories about how we forced the Constitution on Haiti by dissolving at gunpoint. And by we, I mean Smedley Butler did this himself. Um, he He leads an armed column into the Haitian parliament in 1917. And disbands the parliament because the parliament was about to reject an American written constitution, a constitution that, by the way, 
Franklin Delano Roosevelt, who was one of Smedley Butler's personal friends because they got to know each other during the occupation of Haiti. Oh. FDR, you he might remember. There. Yes. FDR, you might remember, was the assistant secretary of the Navy. He yes. followed his, his fifth cousin. Um, yes. And also, by the way, his wife's uncle. We don't talk about that. <laughs> Teddy, Teddy walked Eleanor down the aisle. I at, know, at and she didn't even yeah. have to change her last name. I, no. I just say that makes Eleanor the, like a real feminist. That she was like, I'm not going to change my last name when I get married, so I'll just marry another Roosevelt. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, FDR follows his his fifth cousin's uh, steps in into becoming assistant secretary of the navy, which basically puts him in charge of hmm. the occupations of Haiti, the Dominican Republic, um, the, the the reinvasions of Cuba, etc. Um, and he comes down there. He's walking at the time. He actually climbs up the mountain where Smedley Butler had fought the Battle of Fort Rouvier um, a couple years earlier um, to basically visit the site. Wow. Um, and when FDR runs uh, for national office for the first time um, as a running mate um, in, in uh, uh, oh, I'm blanking on the year. It was 1920, 1920 I yes. believe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So he, um, when he runs in, in 20, um, he brags on the campaign trail. He says, I wrote Haiti's constitution myself. And this is, this is amazing for two different reasons. One, because what an embarrassing thing to say. And two, it's a total lie. He did not. That is not not true. It was, it was, it was written by the state department. He was, he was, he was in the Navy department. He was in the Navy. The Navy department wasn't doing this. I'm sure maybe he was part of it or he had some conversations in this does just show like the attitudes at the time, though, that he genuinely thought and was probably right that that would be a selling point on the campaign yes. trail to a lot yes. of people is to lie about, oh, I wrote this other country's whole constitution. And people would be like, woohoo, like that's, and, you know, why? And it's a, and it's a, and, and in that case, it's actually a political miscalculation because he doesn't he doesn't read the, the mood of the of the American people at the time. <laughs> right at the end of World War One, right at the end of World War One, mm-hmm. um, the, the League of Nations is a that's a big uh, point of debate in, in, in American life at that moment. Um, and the fact that he's, you know, uh, you know, bragging about having, you know, basically conquered subject peoples, um, Harding, um, pounces on that, um, and, and, and uses it to great effect. And it's kind of runs as an isolationist under, by the way, the, the slogan America first, America Um, first. That's true. Which was a slogan that Wilson had already used as a, as an, as a, as a slogan, meaning that he wasn't going to keep us out of the war. Keep us out of the war, right? Like focus on us, focus on ourselves. Yeah. Harding wanted a quote, return to normalcy, right? Which who's normal? I don't know, but. Exactly. (laughs) And, um, and of course, Harding then doesn't do anything to end any of these uh, occupations. Mm. Neither does Coolidge, his successor, neither does Hoover, who by the way, Smedley Butler also knows because Herbert Hoover got Smedley Butler shot in China in 1900, during the Boxer Rebellion, he, Hoover is, is living in China, and he is, he is um, asked to lead Smedley Butler's unit into the Battle of Tianjin, um, mm. but has no idea what he's doing and leads them to the wrong place, and Smedley Butler gets shot in the leg. Hoover! Ugh. Hoover, I, really, like, it's so hard to talk. I, like, I want to give him justice, and it's, like, so hard sometimes to be like, well, let's give Hoover some credit, and it's like, God, he makes it really hard. He and and this actually these all sound like rambles, but it actually it actually kind of gets wrapped up in a nice little bow here. Yeah. Because in 1931, okay, so we're, Smedley Butler is in his great truth telling kind great. of proto TikToker period, and one of the speeches that he gives is at a basically a, a, a high society event in Philadelphia, um, mocking and denouncing Benito Mussolini. 
Oh. And he tells a story that, a, that an American journalist had told him. He doesn't reveal his source, although we now know um, that it was Cornelius Vanderbilt IV, oh. um, is the journalist who, who told him the story, um, was traveling in Italy with Il Duce. And uh, they're riding in Mussolini's Fiat, and Mussolini runs over a child <gasps> and doesn't stop. And the American journalist, Cornelius Vanderbilt, basically is like, um, Benito. Hello. Yeah. Um, and Mussolini says something along the lines of the versions of this sort of change in, in different tellings of the story. Um, but something along the lines of what is the life of, of a child in, in, in the history of a state? Um, something along the, those lines. And Butler tells the story. And he's telling the story with a point. The mm -hmm. point is, it's 1931. The point is, you can't trust fascists. Right. Which seems fair and seems, correct. Seems like an obvious thing to yes. say. Not obvious. No. In 1931 to a lot mm -hmm. of Americans. Because at that point, so Herbert Hoover is president. Herbert Hoover, who got Smedley Butler shot, is president. And trying to be on good relations with Italy. Right. Because... We are taking a position of general, quote-unquote, neutrality mm -hmm. in world affairs. Now, this neutrality is belied by the fact that at this very moment, we are still, for instance, occupying Haiti, right, right. and Nicaragua, etc. Uh, we're not being very neutral everywhere. Well, we but, see Latin America as our as our territory. I mean, that's, right, I think, backyard. the key to it. It's the Monroe Doctrine. It's our backyard. So it's not this. It's like, it's the, well, that's different, right? right? I mean, when we say neutrality, we mean in Europe. In Europe, exactly. And Asia, maybe. But also Mussolini is a very popular figure in, uh -huh. in, in, in the West. Um, this is a time when um, in, in the British version of uh, the musical Anything Goes, mm. um, there's a song that a lot of people might know called You're the Top, where you're basically, you're the top, you're the Mona Lisa, like you're the top. You know, the, the idea is that like, you're, I'm, I'm comparing you, you to all, like, the all these great things. And there's a line in, in the British version of this um, that says, uh, you're the top, you're Mussolini. Well, unironically. Unironically, because Mussolini is looked at by a lot of people at this moment wrongly. I should note. Yeah. <laughs> not not only not only because not only in retrospect, not only is like actually maybe fascism wasn't a good idea, but like a lot of the things that people believed about Mussolini just weren't true. The idea oh, okay. that Mussolini, th this is always the idea that you hear about him, right? That you he quote made the trains run on time, right? Mm -hmm. And this was this is always, just so people know when they hear this, this was sort of a double joke because the idea is that Italian trains are always late, and they're still, by the way, if you've been to Italy, they're still always late, yeah. Um, especially compared to you know, say Germany. Um, mm -hmm. And the idea was that Mussolini is such a hard ass. He's such a he's such a a, a strong leader and a strong modernizer, right? Trains are, are a symbol still in, in the 1930s of modernity that like, you know, Mussolini gets Italian trains to run on time. Historians have looked into this. That is absolutely false. Italian trains were as late and slow and unpredictable under Mussolini as they have been before. It's also since. such a comment. I mean, again, God, especially in 2023, it's like, to say like, well, at least fascists are efficient is right. like such an argument that gets made where you go, oh, efficient at what? Like, even if they are, you know, people yeah. be like, well, Nazi Germany was really efficient. And I'm like, well, I guess you could make that argument, but there's some things we don't want to be super efficient about. So, so, um, so, so, so Butler is really going against the grain here yeah. by saying that fascists 
aren't great modernizers. They're not to be trusted. They're murderers. They literally will kill children and, 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 and not even stop and not even look back. Yeah. And for this, the government of Italy, of Mussolini, lodges a formal complaint against mm. Butler with the U.S. government, with the Hoover administration, and he is court-martialed. Oh, wow. By Hoover, by the Hoover administration, actually by Charles Adams, who is a member of, of the Adams, not the Adams family, but the Adams family, the John and oh, John Oh, the John Quincy and John Q. And okay. Henry, yes. But anyway, hmm. uh, he's, he's the Secretary of the Navy at this moment. Um, and, uh, and he is, and, and he is a, a court martial proceeding, uh, happens. And in, in one of the all time great Smedley Butler troll moves, <laughs> he brings as his lawyer, his buddy who was injured. He was shot in the same battle that Hoover led Butler and the Marines in, in China in 1900 and lost his arm. Oh God! And so he's so he's representing Butler with one arm, and he has one arm because of Herbert Hoover. Because of Hoover, right? Is this guy a lawyer? Yes, he's a lawyer. He, oh, good. He, um... It'd be even funnier if he wasn't. <laughs> he's just <laughs> like my drinking buddy who's going to come here and yeah. Well, what, what what happened essentially is that because he lost his arm, he couldn't fight anymore, so he became right. a jag. Like he became he became wow. like a, he became a marine lawyer. Defending Marines and, or, you know, or, pro, or sometimes he may be prosecuted, sometimes defended in court-martial. So he, wow. he, had, he had experience. It was, it was, it was a reasonable choice. And he gets <laughs> Butler off. Um, basically, uh, without, with, uh, he gets Butler off um, with an apology to um, the, the Secretary of the Navy, to Adams, uh, but not to not Mussolini. Not to Mussolini. Well, that's um, and that's the end of Butler's military career. He retires in 1931 with two stars, that's you know, two, two, uh, major general. That's that's as high as, as Marines could go at the time, um, and he retires to private life. Hmm. Should we start the Should we start the real story now? Now that we're like an hour in, yes, please. Okay, <laughs> so yeah, he. Okay, so he. Well, I already like him. I will just say I'm going to announce my bias to anyone listening that I already like this guy, even though because I love complicated figures in history and I love complicated figures who know they're complicated while they're alive. So. This to me hits all those spots. Like he did all these terrible things, did and also was like, I think I'm doing terrible things. Like yes. as which but is also I'm going to keep doing terrible things, but eventually I'm going to start feeling bad about it. Eventually I'm going to feel bad about it, and which you know I don't know the bar is so low for old white dudes in American history, but you know that's way more than a lot of people did. So so I'm going to do one slight detour before because it's an important detour. Great. So 1932. Worst year of the Great Depression. Mm -hmm. Hoover is still president. And uh, you've heard of, have, have you done an episode about the bonus march? I don't know if I've done a full episode, but I've definitely talked about it. These are World War One. You tell me if I'm wrong. These are World War One veterans who yes. were promised like a, essentially a retirement bonus when they get to retirement age. The Great Depression hits and they're like, oh, can you give us that bonus now? Pretty much. And yes. like very famously Hoover. And was it MacArthur? Yes. I hate that guy so much. Yes. And um, MacArthur like brings tanks into essentially a homeless slum of World War One veterans, and yes. is like, "Shut up, get out of here." Yes. Okay. Um, yeah. No, that's that's it. Yeah. Um, MacArthur, by the way, who also crossed paths with with Butler um, sure. all over the place, especially in in, in Veracruz. Um, and, and MacArthur, of course, MacArthur's father, Arthur MacArthur. That's his real name. Is that his real um, name? Yes. Oh, <laughs> Arthur C. MacArthur. He was the he was a military governor general of the Philippines. Oh wow! Uh, at the that. time that Butler was there, and then so Douglas grows up there, and then that's that's why he has such a, 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 a deep to attachment the to the Philippines and, and why he ends up being there during during um, the, 
the lead up to and, and then the war, hmm. um, the, the second war. But anyway, um, in 1932, um, the entire really American establishment is lining up against the veterans, right? Um, they, they, the reason why it's called the bonus march is because they were derided as demanding a bonus. Mm-hmm. It was like, look, you know, you got the, the opportunity and, and, and the privilege of, of fighting and almost dying and being horribly maimed and psychologically in wounded in a yeah. trench um, for your country. And now you want money? Right. You, you want a bonus? That, that was what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, it was. It was actually called the Veterans Compensation Act. And, and, the, and uh, the idea was that um, these guys had left their factories and farms um, to uh, participate in the first uh, uh, draft, full, first full draft since the Civil War. Mm-hmm. And the only way that Woodrow Wilson could make that palatable was to promise, look, you're going to be away from your, your work, but we, we will make you whole. It won't be immediate, yeah. but we will, pay, we, will, we will compensate you for the time. This is not a bonus. This is compensation for the time that you were off your, your, your main job. Wow. Um, they keep kicking the can and kicking the can and kicking sure. the can. And finally, it's under uh, Coolidge, I think, that this bill is signed. And this says, okay, we will pay you. In 1945, they didn't know what the significance of 1945 was going to be no. in American history. This is just a year in the future. In 1945, or when the veteran dies, whichever comes first. Wow. And so these guys, they tens of thousands, converge on the Capitol. Um, and and uh, Anacostia Flats, which is uh, just across the Anacostia River in, in Washington, D.C. And they bring their families with them. And they really scandalize the establishment, not only because they are there demanding, God forbid, some kind of, of compensation for, for working people or redistribution, but because this is one of the things that really scandalizes people. Washington, D.C. is officially segregated at the time, mm-hmm. and black and white veterans are living shack to shack in the same shack in these in these Hoovervilles, in these shanty towns that are that are built oh, in, in the That middle. was one of the things that was like considered the worst thing about it was yeah. that it was essentially an integrated slum of veterans. Yes. And so there's a lot of fear among the establishment. So this is the nineteen thirties, right? Mm-hmm. And uh you know and this is gonna be very important for the thing that we're about to talk about. <laughs> there's a general perception in the world that liberal democracy has failed. Mm-hmm. Right? We gave it a shot. Yeah. We let people elect their leaders. Um, we let people have a say. And what did it get us? It got us uh, World War One, which at that time was the only world war, um, and uh, the Great Depression. Right. Um, we need something else. And the two ideas of something else are basically either a dictatorship of the proletariat, mm-hmm. right? The workers will rise up. Seize the means of production. I don't know if this sounds familiar to anybody. They will seize the means of production, and they will and they and they will throw off uh, the the aristocracy. Yeah. Um, and they will take total control of their countries, which, in 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 uh, the actual circumstances in which this has happened in the world at this point, dictatorships of the proletariat have an, have have a tendency to become actual dictatorships. Just dictatorships. Yeah, yeah. They they get really hung up on that last step. Yes. Of <laughs> handing power over to yeah. the proletariat. Yes. yes. One 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 pro one member of the proletariat in particular, a, a yes. gentleman who who takes the name of Joseph Stalin, yes. um, decides that you know what? Instead of a dictator of the pro- dictatorship of the proletariat, we'll just have a dictatorship of. Me, I represent them anyway. I exactly. might as well just yes, totally. The other, um, you know, but there are other there are other formulations of socialism that are out sure. there, and there are other formulations of communism that are out there at the time. The other extreme 
is fascism, right? Right. We will have a strong leader. Uh, he will he will destroy class distinctions entirely by basically making sure that the rich uh, uh, control everything. Um, but we will, we, you know, we'll figure out some way around it. We'll create sort of guild systems. Workers will somehow we'll, don't worry about it. And the if you do worry about it, the state will take care of you later. Yeah, the state will take care of you later. And if you do worry about it, we will kill you. Yes, right. And 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 you know these things that I was talking about these these people who are looking at. Mussolini as a a great modernizer as as a as as a, as a symbol of of modernity and people are looking at what's happening in Washington D.C. with this bonus march and they are seeing you know something is happening here that that is maybe uncontrollable and the yeah. real fear that a lot of Americans have is that this is going to be a communist revolution yeah um, and, and when MacArthur crushes it ultimately he he says that he crushed the communist revolution that's how he oh I never it. understood that element of it that makes a yeah. lot more sense of why it was seen as such a threat mm-hmm. actually the head of the bonus expeditionary force which is the the name that that uh one of the main organs of the the, the bonus marchers gives them uh, themselves he is really a fascist he 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 <laughs> sure. he, he creates he creates a, uh, his he kind of creates shock troops that he calls khaki shirts um, which oh. are sort of modeled along the lines of either the black Mussolini's black shirts, Hitler's brown shirts. But regardless, people are scared about this. Yeah. But Smedley Butler, being Smedley Butler, <laughs> says, well, if everyone's going that way... I'm going to go the other way. And he is somebody who... He's not just a contrarian for contrarian's sake. He's somebody who believes in... He's, he has a reputation as a Marine general of being a Marine's general. Right. That he's somebody who cares about his 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 troops. He cares about his rank and file, and right. he's looking at these guys in Washington. And a lot of these are guys who fought under him in other places. And a lot of them are are you know the vast majority of them, of course, aren't Marines because Marines are the smallest branch. They're people who came through his camp in the rear, um, in in Brest, in in, in Western France. Um, they got off the boat and then a lot fewer of them came back the other way. And a lot of the ones who came back were either bearing literal horrific scars from yeah. gas, yeah. from, from the modern weapons of, of, of war of, of the first world war and the psychological scars. And he comes and he gives a speech in at the, at the bonus March mm-hmm. and it's nine days after he gives this speech. And, 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 you know, the speech that he gives is because they're becoming very disillusioned. Um, the Senate has uh, dissolved without uh, acting on uh, they've, they've not dissolved. Sorry, com- com- confusing different uh, modes of government here. Um, they've 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 gone to recess um, for the summer. <laughs> um, yeah, for anybody who's listening, the United States Senate has not yet has not yet dissolved. Not um, <laughs> but they've gone into recess, and yeah. actually, the, the senators escape um, through the tunnels under. Uh, under the mall because they don't want to to con- have to confront wow. confront these 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 angry protesters, um, and and Butler is called in um, uh, to uh, to to give a speech and basically be like, look, don't back down, stay here. And he know he's like he's got a protester's mindset at this point. He's like he's he's saying exactly what I'm saying. He's like, if you back if you take this camp down, everyone will forget you, and this yeah. will be for nothing. It's it's only as long as you stay here, and 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 remain in the public eye, 
that you have any chance of getting what you deserve. It's like siege warfare, right? I mean, he's also, yeah. it, to me, that seems very like logical too as a Marine of just sort of like, this is tactical as well. Yes. Like we can't yes. give up the high ground. We can't give up this spot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I'm not saying this is what you're saying, but it's worth noting that from their perspective, they're not fighting war, right? They, mm -hmm. they are, they're, they're, this is a completely peaceful protest. Sure. It's maybe a nuisance to some people in the neighborhood, although a lot of people in Washington support them. They're, they're bringing them food. Um, they're allowed to use the, the bathrooms at the Smithsonian Institution, stuff like mm. this. But from the perspective of certainly the Army um, and the Hoover administration, it's exactly that. This is yeah. a siege. We're under siege. And nine days after Smedley Butler gives his um, talk at the bonus march, that is when not only Douglas MacArthur, but Douglas MacArthur, his, his adjutant, Major Dwight Eisenhower, and you, you mentioned those tanks that ran down uh, Pennsylvania Avenue. Those tanks, and then more specifically, the cavalry charge, because there's a cavalry charge into the bonus encampment, wow. is led in the saddle by Major George Patton. Oh. Oh, whoa. Yeah, this is like a Mad Lib of yes. just like World War II dudes. Yes. Uh, they're like cutting their teeth on a quote-unquote battle against World War I American veterans. Exactly. For military history nerds, another fun fact is that um, Hoover uh, orders MacArthur not to go past the Anacostia River, and he does anyway. Which for, Which... Anybody, who kn for anybody who knows about the Korean War... Um, like foreshadowing. Yes, exactly. Telling MacArthur not to go across a river is that's a thing. That, yeah. So um, all that is to say, um, this sets us up really for, for, for our main story very well, um, because a couple of things happen in the in in the aftermath of the bonus march. They do not uh, in, in, in that moment get their bonus. Mm -hmm. But what does happen is that Smedley Butler's friend, the then governor of New York, just named a Democratic uh, presidential candidate, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, is watching this along with everybody else. And um, w one thing that I will say before that is that Butler recognizes, and it is very obvious to anybody who sees this, that what is happening here is that, um, that America's imperial tactics, these tactics that have been used to subdue colonies, are now being used against subject populations, a colonial population. And the fact that there's a racial aspect to this is not unimportant, right? Yeah. The idea that people are, in, are are looking at this and seeing like, there are black people here, there are white people who are living among the black people, which maybe makes them like the black people. Yeah. There's nothing, there's nothing that can't be done to them because they're, they're, they're sort of less human somehow. Even um, though, even though they are literal military veterans, right? Which I just yes. think really, I think really hits home the level of, we'll just say like white supremacy and racism, that it's like no one's off limits if yeah. they're, I mean, because you would think of the, who's the group that would be the most respected by the general public, and especially in this time, it'd be military veterans, but exactly. not if they're, not if they're demanding for something that sounds a little bit communisty and not if they're integrated right. right and because there are veterans on both sides of this one of the most famous veterans who who participates in the bonus march was actually the guy who got i forget which it was army distinguished service medal or something along those lines he got his medal for saving george Patton's life he pulled he, he pulled Patton under fire um away from a machine gun nest in in wow. the first world war he's on one side and then Patton himself is on the other leading a cavalry charge which ends up um, so two people, two, two of the, the, the protesters are killed by DC police and a baby dies basically in, in, in the, uh, in the charge into the camp because, um, they're firing chemical weapons. They're firing a, a weapon called Adam sight, uh, which is basically a, a, a very, 
um, uh, brutal early form of tear gas. Oh, my God. Um, the other person who's looking at this is Franklin Delano Roosevelt. And he looks at this and he says, he looks at, he looks at, the, at the reprisal. He looks at the, the army maneuver um, to, to, to put a, a uh, euphemism on it. Sure. Um, to burn this camp, to, to chase these people out of Washington, D.C., to kill people. And he says, you know, it is a wonder that there are not, that there are not more revolutions when people are treated this way. Yeah. And he looks at this from the perspective of a liberal. And from a liberal perspective, um, uh, he's basically saying, look, maybe small L liberalism in the 19th century sense um, has failed to a certain extent, right? Maybe what we actually need is some government action here hmm. to help people, you know, in, 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 in a populist, almost, God forbid, somewhat socialist sense, right? Yeah. To show... But but it's but it's but it's being done for liberal purposes. It is to show that the power of the democratically elected liberal federal government can help regular people, people yeah. who are suffering in the Great Depression. We can help make them whole. We can help put food on their tables. We can just put food on their tables. We can do yeah. big infrastructure projects to give them electricity. We can put them to work. We mm -hmm. can do all of these things. He doesn't have all these ideas like at that moment in 1932, but this, and you see where I'm going with this. This yeah. ends up becoming the New Deal. And so what happens is, I keep promising we're getting to the story. Now we're getting <laughs> to the story. 1933, Smedley Butler is in his home in uh, uh, Newtown Square, Pennsylvania, suburbs of, of, of Philadelphia. And he is visited by two men who who introduced themselves as members of the American Legion. Uh, the American Legion is a veterans organization, still exists. Um, at that time, it had a, an especially um, right-wing reactionary bent. Like a lot mm -hmm. of what the American Legion did was they were used as strike breakers. They were used as, as union busters. And um, they come to Smedley Butler and they want him to go to the American Legion convention in Chicago and give a talk denouncing Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Oh. Um, specifically, Franklin Delano Roosevelt's decision, this was one of his first moves um, as part of the New Deal, to get the dollar off the gold standard. This is why my stories are long, but they always have a point, I swear. <laughs> <laughs> they pitch this to him as something to do with getting the soldiers their bonus. That he's going to go to the he's going to go to the Legion convention and tell the, the 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 members of the American Legion, let's all get together and get America back onto the gold standard, and then somehow this will get you your bonus. Oh, which it seems like no, not a not no. really connected, right? No, okay. there's an old South Park episode, the underwear gnomes, right? It's like number one, uh, uh, collect underpants. Number three, profit. Number two, question mark. <laughs> yes, that's exactly how this there's goes. a big number two question mark here. It's like, like they just it's like they just said, well, you are a guy that talks to the military about money and soldiers, and this is about money, so let's right. just have you go talk about it. Right. Exactly. But they know they know who Smedley Butler is, right? right. Because he's a big deal. He's a big celebrity. Yeah. And they have seen these newsreels of him addressing the bonus marchers. Mm -hmm. And he, they have seen the way that because of his reputation as a Marines general, that these guys hang on every one of his words, mm -hmm. right? They, they, 
if they can tell this is somebody who, if he tells you to go take that hill, you go take that hill. If he tells you stay in this camp and, and keep protesting, you're going to stay in this camp and keep protesting. Yeah. And if, you, if, if he tells you Franklin Delano Roosevelt's a bad guy, then maybe you'll think Franklin Delano Roosevelt's a bad guy. Right? Yeah. So he, they, they try to get him to, to give this talk. And he's like, well, how the hell are they going to pay for this? It's like 1933. <laughs> I, don't yeah. know if you, I don't know if you've looked outside lately, but like a lot of, not a lot of people have a lot of money. And, then, and they're like, oh, we'll pay for all of it. We have, a, we have pl- the, the people who, the people who, and at this point he can tell like, these are not just American Legion guys, right? right. These, these are people with, there's serious money behind them. Mm-hmm. Long story short, he, he declines. But the main guy of this, these two is a guy named Gerald C. McGuire. Jerry Maguire, by the way. Oh, um, show me the money. Show me <laughs> the money. perfect. Exactly. <laughs> and Jerry Maguire is not somebody who takes no for an answer. Jerry Maguire continues pursuing Smedley Butler. And by pursuing, I mean like from city to city. Wow. In, in Newark, uh, Butler's there for a function. Uh, he, he goes into Smedley Butler's hotel room and throws a, a wad of $18,000 on the bed. Oh, my God. Um, and is like, you know, look, you know, the money is real. We have this money. Um, you know, let's talk about ways that we can work together. Hmm. And Smedley Butler is like, I don't want to work with you, dude. I, <laughs> I don't know who you are. I don't know what you're doing. But yeah. like, you know, it's, it's you know, he, he smells a rat, right? Mm-hmm. But he's a smart guy. And he's like, something is going on here. I was going to say, I was like, I would be like, I want to see how far this thing goes. I want to stick with this until I figure out what's happening. What's happening. Yeah. Over the course of 1934, Smedley Butler starts getting postcards in the mail from Europe, from Jerry Maguire. Okay. And these postcards are being sent from fascist Italy. Uh, They're being sent from Berlin, where Hitler has just taken power. Mm-hmm. Um, and and uh, and McGuire's, you know, saying it. I'm, I'm having having a wonderful time in. Berlin. Wish you were here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I think literally he said, "I'm having a wonderful time in Berlin." Um, and he gets a phone call in August 1934. McGuire wants to meet, and so they meet. At, this is a movie. Jerry McGuire makes his ask, and he says, "Here's the deal. We want you to lead." a column of half a million veterans of the great war into Washington, DC armed with rifles from the Remington rifle company. Mm -hmm. And we are going to uh, surround the white house Mm -hmm. and basically intimidate Franklin D Roosevelt into as, as McGuire puts it either, um, uh, delegating all of his effective powers to a cabinet secretary who whoever is behind this is going to name. Right. Or, and, and he, he, he expressly uh, compares this to what Mussolini did with the King of Italy, with oh. Victor Emmanuel okay. II. The fascist coup. Okay. Exactly. Um, or forcing him to resign completely. And then we will replace him with this person that we designate without okay. an election. Can I ask a stupid question? Yeah. This yeah. seems so stupid. <laughs> Not my question, what they're yes. trying to do. Yeah. Because it seems like between, let's say, Hoover and FDR, the one that was more sympathetic to the bonus army marchers was FDR. Right. So 
why would they then be the one? I guess they're just well, saying. Well, because, because, because what they're trying to do is they're trying to undo the New Deal. They're basically, and they're saying that somehow we'll, we'll promise you to give you your quote unquote bonus when we do that. Yeah. With no explanation, but yes. Okay. Right. Got it. Got it. I mean, at this point, the bonus has kind of fallen out of the conversation. Sure. It's just sort of like, we're all on the same page here, right? Like, because, because again, and again, this goes back to the things that we've been talking about, you know, throughout the, the, the time here. Like, you know, it's the early 1930s. Like, mm-hmm. fascism is looking very good to some people. And the idea is, we'll get all these guys from the American Legion. They look like fascism, right? Because they're, 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 I mean, the, literally, the American Legion was inviting Benito Mussolini to their conventions. Oh, wow. And wow. instead of going along with it, Butler blows the whistle. And yeah. he reports everything that he knows to Congress. Um, it's actually to, to a, uh, the first edition of the House uh, uh, Committee on, on American Activities, HUAC. Um, oh. Was it created for this event? It is, it is basically, it, it, it's a special committee that's created for this event. It disbands and then it is reformed at various points along the way. Right. And, when it, and, when, and the most famous point of the, the, the reforming, the instead of invest, investigating fascist plots, they're in, in, in investigating communist plots. Right? Oh, interesting. Um, but, um, uh, he testifies, mm-hmm. um, it is a huge story, front page news all across the United States. Um, and, uh, and nothing happens. Um, um, the other thing that I will say that, that I, I think is an important thing to note is that what Butler says during this testimony is that McGuire told him that he would see in the weeks that came after this meeting, Mm-hmm. Um, the formation of a new group um, that would uh, advertise itself as a society to perfect to to, to protect the Constitution um, that was going to provide the financial backing for this coup. Okay, and that they would be big names. Mm-hmm. And within like two weeks of this meeting, a group called the American Liberty League announces its creation. And the American Liberty League is headed by the DuPonts. Okay. So Irene DuPont and his brother. Um, that's the DuPont Chemical Corporation, which in addition to being a chemical corporation is at that point leading weapons manufacturing. They, 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 they make, they make gunpowder and they're making explosives, right? So they're, yeah. they're, they're, and they've actually at this point bought the Remington Arms Company. So the reason why they're going to have Remington weapons is because yeah, like, don't worry about weapons. Right. We'll make sure. Yeah. But it's not just them. Alfred P. Sloan of General Motors um, mm. The heads of Phillips Oil, Sun Oil, um, the head of the McCann Erickson ad agency. Whoa. Um, and two, and there's a number of other uh, uh, big industrial names. And then two prominent um, Democratic anti-New Deal. So these are people who in the sort of this moment of inflection where liberalism is like, well, maybe we need liberalism with a little bit of social democracy or yeah. maybe even some democratic socialism involved. They're like, hell no, we're, we're just we're liberal liberals. Um, Al Smith and John W. Davis. Okay. Um, and Grayson Mallet Provost Murphy, a New, York, a New York financier who, mm-hmm. A, is kind of a bizarro Smedley Butler. He has a long career in military intelligence going all over the American empire. And he's in a lot of the places the Butler is, the Philippines, Panama, hmm. etc., um, he's also in Europe during uh, World War One, setting up an intelligence network with uh, Wild Bill Donovan, who ends up uh, heading the OSS, uh, which is the forerunner to the CIA. Oh, wow. Right? 
Grayson Malaprovost Murphy is the treasurer of the American Liberty League and Jerry Maguire's boss. Okay. Jerry so Maguire. He's kind of been the one that's been like telling Maguire, go get this guy, Smedley Butler. Clearly. Like he's somebody who definitely knows who Smedley Butler is, mm-hmm. right? And Butler's reputation, but he doesn't realize that Butler's politics have changed. Right? He doesn't realize that, that this Marine is becoming a little bit of a lefty. Yeah. Oh, that's um, fascinating. And it, it, it all kind of fits together, right? Mm-hmm. That Murphy would, Murphy is the treasurer of this organization full of these very powerful businessmen who, who hate Franklin Roosevelt. They have, they have this society. It's, and, and really, in a lot of ways, the Liberty League, Liberty League ultimately ends up ha- having to be disbanded as, as a result of sort of the negative publicity that it gets um, as a result of, even though nobody is held responsible, even mm-hmm. though no, nobody is actually yeah, know, prosecuted. I think yeah. I remember, yeah, the FDR administration just kind of decided, like, okay, we're not going to move forward with any of this as far as, like, yeah. bringing anyone to justice. We don't know. We don't exactly know why. It makes sense. It, it kind of makes sense. FDR's whole focus is his New Deal. And yeah. he's, and it also probably would make him look bad to be like, yeah. hey, I'm going to really advertise that a lot of these really powerful rich people wanted me out of office that badly. Right. Yeah. But maybe... Behind this, maybe, I, I, nobody knows, right? But like maybe behind the scenes, it's a little bit like, you know, Irenee, it's Frank. Yeah. Listen, yeah. you're not going to be executed for treason, but I'm going to need you to stop opposing the New Deal. Hmm. Um, but that is, that is the way that all of these big names end up getting linked to what becomes known and the reason it becomes known as the business plot, the business plot. What happens to Smedley Butler? Like, so he's like, what? No one did anything. And then he fades away like MacArthur or what, like what happens a little bit? Well, Mm. yes and no. Okay. So he doesn't fade away quickly. Right. And in the spring of 1935, he publishes a book. It's really a pamphlet, but it's, Mm. we'll call it a book. You can buy it as a book on Amazon. Um, uh, and it is called War is a Racket. And oh, it is I did a, see that. Okay. It is essentially a, it's it's kind of a, it's it's a, one of the stump speeches that he's kind of been giving on, on the speaking uh, circuit, sort of uh, combined, compiled and, and uh, uh, prettied up a little bit with the ghostwriter. Hmm. Um, but what it really is, is it is a denunciation of what ends up being called by his one time essentially antagonist during the bonus march, um, but I think, you know, in, in a lot of ways, sort of simpatico political figure, um, Dwight Eisenhower, the military industrial complex. Is he the, so he, that pamphlet or book coins that term? It, or? The, 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 the term is coined by uh, Eisenhower but what in, he's his, describing in his farewell is address. What, right, right. But, but what, what Butler's talking about, he's is, talking about a complex between military and industry. Which, and by the, yeah. Oh, I was going to say, it's really funny for us to think about now because I think we're all so jaded at this point that we're like, well, yeah, duh. But right. I mean, I, I know when talking to my students, I think it was after during or after World War One, right? There was like a Nye committee where one yes. of these senators was like, hey, y'all, uh, you know what? Some people made a lot of money on this war. It almost yes. seems like yes. <laughs> war might be good for business or whatever. And it like blew people's minds, right? Yeah. And the Nye, the Nye committee is... Um... It's really important to talk about in, in terms of War as a Racket. So, so the, 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 the theme of War as a Racket mm-hmm. really resonates to this day, which is that some people make a lot of money off of war. And because some people make a lot of money off of war, it is often in their interests either to start wars or 
if you're being a little bit more subtle about it, to not really go out of their way to prevent wars. Right. Right. And so what's interesting about Smedley Butler and the, 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 the long end of this is that he spends the last years of his life, uh, the 1930s, mm-hmm. as an anti-war, anti-imperialist activist. Hmm. And he's trying to keep the United States from entering and causing, in a lot of ways, World War II. Butler, because of his career that we talked about earlier, even the Latin American stuff, is really focused on the Pacific. And he sees great power competition with Japan as being a major flashpoint. And he knows Mm -hmm. this, right? He he fights alongside the Japanese in suppressing the Boxer Rebellion in 1900. He arms uh, the Philippines against a a threatened Japanese invasion in 1907. Yeah, if anyone is going to understand... One, how hardly we're going to fight for, you know, dominance in that region and how much of a threat Japan might be, it'd be him. So he spends the last 10 years of his life being like, we have to give these colonies, especially the Philippines, their independence. Mm. And it is not a coincidence that this war for the American, from the American point of view, starts in our Pacific colonies. And that is specifically... He has seen the creation of this empire. He's seen the rise of the Japanese empire. And he knows that ultimately this... Ocean ain't big enough for the both of us. But he is part of a large and now largely forgotten anti-war movement throughout yeah. the 1930s um, to basically be like, World War I was terrible. World mm-hmm. War II is going to be even worse. And I, we shouldn't be involved. And, you and, know, my understanding is that it was, it kind of was like an often an unlikely coalition, right? There were some people who were anti-war because they didn't want to fight Nazi Germany because they right. thought Nazi Germany seems okay. Right. But then there were other people like the, who didn't want to fight for more actual pacifist, pacifist exactly. reasons. Right. Yeah. Totally. And the thing is that we don't know what he would have done because he died young, mm. um, probably of cancer, mm. in 1940. And he dies oh, wow. the day before France surren- surrenders to the Germans. Um, and then he dies 18 months before Pearl Harbor. Right. Um, and, you know, we know um, both of his sons fight for the U.S. in the war. Mm. His son-in-law fights for the U.S. in the war. Um, a, a, a destroyer is named the USS Butler mm. um, and participates in both uh, D-Day um, and the invasion of Sicily. So oh, wow. I'm sure he would have been thrilled to know he helped, uh, overthrow, <laughs> he Mussolini. helped overthrow Mussolini. Exactly. Oh, that's a nice little... Um, yeah. um, but Butler is really forgotten, right, yeah. after all of this. And so this is when, when you ask if he fades into history, like he does. And I think, that, I think that there are a couple of different reasons for that. And I think that one of them is because talking about Smedley Butler requires talking about things that Americans don't like talking about. I was going to say, uh, to me, it yeah. seems like he's too complicated yeah. to be easily discussed and yeah. thrown into a box. And so mm-hmm. a lot of times we just go, okay, well, don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> it was confusing, right? Yeah. yeah. We, we, talking about Smedley Butler means... You have to talk about America's imperial wars, right? You have to talk about the fact that we had, and by the way, still have colonies. We right. still, to this day, in 2023, we still have uh, at least five wholly owned colonies. Right. Um, Puerto Rico, Guam, uh, 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 Northern Mariana Islands, uh, U.S. Virgin Islands. American uh, Samoa. And American Samoa, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we did it. <laughs> um, and... Um, you have to talk about the ways in which we have uh, been a malign influence yeah. uh, because we have done these things not always or maybe even not most often out of a quest for freedom. It's to make money for people. It's, it's, it's to grow the American economy. It's to, yeah. to grow American power. 
talking about smelly belly, you have to talk about all those things, right? And you, and then you have to talk about like you know the the, the anti war movement of the nineteen and fascist sympathizers, which fascist sympathizers post World War Two is something we sort of erase. I think Smedley Butler in this kind of conversation is a really great example of like complexity and nuance that like, yeah, you can't have this, you can't have this conversation simplistically. Like you almost can't have this conversation over TikTok or whatever. Like you need, because he, you can't just say, well, he was this hero that was, well, no, he was a colonizing imperial as well. Right. It's like, I think he's a great study in how complex real history is and why most people choose to just go along with the simplified history because it's just a lot easier to understand and it doesn't keep you up at night. Yep. Like this That's does, it. you know. Well, thank you so much for all of this information. Thank you for joining. Um, yeah, if people liked what you had to say, they can go check out your book, Gangsters of Capitalism. They can go to your website, which is uh, theracket.news. <laughs> theracket.news. Um, and sign up. So you do a newsletter. Is that like you, you post daily? How, what does this look like? Um, it's usually, Regular. I try to go for, it's a couple times a week. Cool. Awesome. Oh, man. Well, okay. Thank you for joining us. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening. Wasn't that a crazy story? Like there were so many tangents, which I love so many little historic cameos of other people coming together into the story that you don't think are going to be there. It's one of my favorite things. As always, thank you for supporting and listening to this podcast. There's some other ways you can support as well. Please join Patreon, patreon.com slash antisocial studies. The lowest level is just $3 a month. Anything that you can give to help me keep this podcast going. I really seriously appreciate it, especially now I'm back in the classroom, at least part time. And so I'm trying to dedicate as much time to this podcast as I can. And that money from Patreon, frankly, just really helps me keep this going. If you don't want to join Patreon or your budget just can't afford it right now, which is totally fine, please then just share this podcast with a few people you think would like it. Talk to your friends about it. If you're a teacher, tell your students about it. Spread the word. Either way, I really appreciate you as a listener and I'll talk to you soon.